Amen. Good morning, church. You know, let's give it up for our worship team. Jabari and Chris and the crew holding it down while Amaudi's away on a much-needed vacation. And, I mean, I was blown away by, when, uh, by our sister Brenda's testimony. I don't know about you. That's the first time I actually heard her testimony. I'm sitting back there thinking, whoa, we need to have that girl preach. Let's go to God with the word of prayer. Our awesome God in heaven, Father, we want to thank you for bringing us to a a relationship with you. For those of us who have accepted your invitation to that relationship, God, we have an inexplicable joy that we cannot express in words alone. We have to dedicate our entire lives of showing you how much uh, we're grateful uh, for saving us, for rescuing our lives from the penalty of sin. And for those of us who have yet to make that decision, Father, I do pray that you will continue to show them kindness, uh, extending your grace and your mercy. Uh, Father, but we know that life is short and that we only have uh, one life to live. And I pray that you'll help us to make uh, the best of that life that you've given us. Uh, Let my words be your words, Father. We do pray that you'll continue to carry us through uh, the rest of the day. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the last time we were together, we looked at Adam and Eve and talked about how they messed it up for all of us. Right? How that that one command, they only had one, and they had a choice to obey that one command, and they decided not to. And we talked about, we learned that it only takes one decision to disobey God by one man to bring sin into the world, separating us from a relationship with God. And then we learned that it only took one decision by another man, being Jesus, to reconcile that relationship with God. And if it wasn't for Jesus' obedience to God, we'd be in bad shape right now. So amen for, for Jesus deciding to obey the Father and repairing that, the damage done by Adam's disobedience. Now, Adam had only one choice, and he decided to disobey God with that choice. And I think sometimes we can take God's grace for granted. We can think that, well, nothing's happened to me yet. But you know, it only takes one bad choice, one bad decision, and you don't know when the clock is up on your life. For some of us, It only took us making one bad decision to receive immediate consequences. Some, the Bible says, were storing up judgment. One bad decision leads to another bad decision, and it's just like debt. We don't see the statement every day until we go and we look at it, and it's like, how in the world did I get so much debt? And so it only takes one decision. And we've been talking about this series. It only takes one because I believe, you know, sometimes God wants us to get the fact that, look, we only have one life. And he wants us to make the most of that one life. We don't get a do-over on earth. Once our life is over, that's it. And so we have a choice 
on how we're going to live that life. You know, the consequences of Adam's decision is that God removed his presence from Adam and Eve and consequently from all of us. And what makes this consequence so significant is that we're relational creatures by design. When God created Adam, he looked at all the things that he made. Everything was good. But then he looked at Adam, poor Adam's in the garden. And maybe Adam was talking to himself. I don't know. You know, it's just, I'm just like, how did God? But, you know, maybe he was working the garden and, and naming all the animals. And he just started talking to himself. And God was like, you know what? It's just not good for the man to be alone. He needs some help. You know, maybe he was jacking up the roses. And God was like, you know what? He needs a woman's touch. You know how we do, guys. We can be heavy-handed with things sometimes. And some some things just need a woman's touch. And so God figured that, you know, Adam, he needs help. He needs a, a companion. And Eve was created to meet that physical need in Adam's life, that companionship on earth. But ultimately, it was Adam's relationship with God that suffered from that decision. You know, we need our relationship with God to be fulfilled. There's no other way for us to survive this life without God. People have tried. People constantly, we're we're consumers by nature. We consume things because there's a hole in our hearts that we've been trying to fill up with everything but God. And here's the thing. That was by design. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he made everything beautiful in its time. He also set eternity in the hearts of men so that they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. You know, God put eternity in our heart. He put a desire for eternal things in our hearts. So you can't fill up that God-sized hole with uh, with a brand new house because a brand new house is not eternal. You can't even fill that void up with a beautiful, drop-dead gorgeous wife or a stunning-looking husband because they are not eternal. You can't fill that hole up with multiple degrees, with multiple advances in your career. You can't even fill it up with winning the lottery. Solomon tried. He wrote a whole book about it. And at the end of the day, what did Solomon say? I've come to the conclusion that my only purpose in life is to please God. Eternity. God put that in our hearts. You know, I like how the Amplified Version reads it. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also planted eternity in men's hearts and minds, a divinely implanted sense of a purpose working through the ages with nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. See, God created us with a capacity for eternal things. God created us with a capacity to receive and contain his love in our hearts, in our very souls. Which is why the greatest commandment is to love God with all our being because that's what it involves. That's what it takes. That's what it includes. Loving God. There's this God-sized hole 
in our hearts that only God himself can fill. He is the missing piece. And if you're wondering, what's missing in my life? God. And if you're a Christian and you're still wondering, what's missing in my life? Why do I feel empty? Why do I feel alone? How close are you to God? The consequence of Adam's decision is why we wonder, what is my purpose in life? What's the meaning of life? What am I here for? And we spend our life pursuing all the things that we deeply desire. And once we attain those things, there's a brief sense of satisfaction, but then I'm still not fulfilled. You know, Adam knew that answer. He knew what the answer was. Before he disobeyed, he knew the purpose of his life. I was created for God. I was created to be and walk with God. Now, you know, we don't ask that question in any other relationship, right? What's my purpose in my marriage? You don't ask yourself that question. You know what your purpose in your marriage is. Or what, what's, why do I have these kids? What's my purpose with these children? We don't ask those type of questions. Try asking your boss tomorrow what your purpose is on your job. You may not have a job by the end of the day. Say, if you don't know what your purpose is, and I've been paying you all this time, and you still don't know why you're here, we don't ask ourselves that question in any other relationship because we understand why. Why is it that when, it's, when it comes to God, we ask ourselves, what's my purpose? You see, Jesus' decision to obey God clarifies our purpose. He repaired that separation. He took care of the penalty of sin. But here's the thing. We got to accept that. See, God doesn't force himself on us. We have to willingly accept God into our lives. So my message today is it only takes one decision to accept or reject God's grace. It only takes one. We all face a crossroad in life. And we have a choice. And ultimately, that choice will either lead us toward God or lead us away from God. But it's our choice. God is not going to force you to go one way or the other. God's not going to push you in one direction. Like we want to push our kids on Jesus. Our kids are at a crossroad. They will have to decide for themselves. Do I accept God or will I reject God? That's a decision they'll have to make. We can influence them. We can inspire them. We can, we can read Bible. We can pray. We can bring them to church or some of us drag them to church. We can get them surrounded by godly people. But at the end of the day, just like you and I, they will stand at that crossroad and have to decide, will I accept or reject God's grace in my life. You know, unfortunately, when it comes to sin, we can't choose the consequences of our actions. I mean, think about it. If, if 
you could choose the consequences. Some of us probably wouldn't repent. Right? If you knew that every careless word you said and you decided, you know what, I don't want that to hurt her feelings. Then you would never think about what you say before to people, right? You just talk however you want. There were consequences. If we, if we could control the consequences of our actions, then we really wouldn't see a need for God in our life. But the fact that we can't choose how long the consequences will last or who they will and will not affect, you, can't, you don't get to decide that. You don't get to decide the consequences, who they impact, and how long they last. That's just the nature of things. That's out of our hands. You know, a criminal can't go before a judge and choose whether or not they want to be punished. They can't decide how long they spend time in jail. But consequently, sin puts us all on death row. That one decision put us all on spiritual death row. Now, the good news about that, well, we'll get to that in just a second. But Romans 3.23 says, everyone has sinned and is far away from God's saving presence. This is how we meet God. We, when we're born and we come to a knowledge and understanding of what sin is, what right or wrong is, we enter a spiritual courtroom. And there's no deliberations. There's nothing to talk about because we're guilty. So this is, this is the nature of man. This is the condition that we're in. In James chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For whoever keeps the law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. But you're like, well, James, I didn't murder anybody. I didn't covet my, 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 my neighbor's wife. Did you use the Lord's name in vain? Did you put anything before the Lord your God? Are there idols in your life? Well, then you're just as guilty as if you broke it all. So just messing, messing up one, one bad decision has made us all guilty. And in some ways, we're kind of guilty by association because of Adam. Thanks a lot. But unlike death row inmates, you and I actually have a choice of whether we get the death penalty of sin or not. You and I actually have a choice. We can get off, we can get off that spiritual death row. We don't have to walk that green mile. We can get off and Jesus made the way for us. See, Adam blew it, but Jesus fixed it. And now you and I have a choice to accept this free gift of salvation or we can reject it. You know, when you think about the benefits of salvation, they far outweigh the consequences of sin. We look at the sin, the consequences of our sinful decisions and, and our sinful life, and we're reminded of how, how messed up things were and how things may have been ruined. But the benefits of being with God far outweighs any consequences connected to your sin. The blessings of being with God the Father far outweighs and is greater than any sin you may have committed. In Romans chapter 5, listen to what Paul says. I know some of us are like, well, James, you don't know. I've done some things. 
I've hurt people. I've done this, I've done that. But listen to what Paul says here in Romans chapter 5. In verse 15 it says, But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, for the sin of this one man, Adam caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who, what, receives it. They will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. The consequences of sin are great. Some of us, some of us are still dealing with some of those consequences. But God's grace God's grace is greater. The fact that you and I are alive and breathing today. God's grace, the fact that you committed sin and hurt people and that God still treats you as if you never sinned before is greater than anything you've ever done. You know, you can't hurt somebody's feelings nowadays without them holding a grudge over you for years. But God doesn't do that. When God looks at you and after he's forgiven you, God doesn't say, oh, wait a second. Yeah, you, you know, you, you cursed at me last week. That's not who God is. God looks at you and he sees a totally different creation, a new creation, a new being, because God's grace is greater than the consequences of our sin. While the penalty of sin is imposed on us, there's nothing we can do about it. But that greater gift that God offers, see, God doesn't impose that on us. God's not going to impose, he's not going to force his grace onto you. We have to receive it. We have to accept it. Verse 17 says, for all who received it, we got to accept it. We, you know, we can't just walk into God's grace or stumble into God's grace. We got to accept that free gift. Yeah, have you ever gone to... Costco or one of these, these Whole Foods stores, and they're handing out free, free samples. You don't got to pay for it. Nobody's going to stand at the line. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. We got to charge you for that, that free sausage sample you had back in aisle 10. That doesn't happen. And you know what? There are lines of people lined up for that, right? I mean, they see those free samples. They're like, oh, see, oh yeah, so tell me. You're not, you don't want to know about the project. You just want that free sample. You can care less about the product. You just want this. So, yeah, yeah, tell me. Oh, wow. Is it gluten-free? Oh, nice, nice. Thank you. And you go about your business. There should be lines of people lining up to accept God's free grace. Lines of people pouring out the door, going down the block, crossing boroughs, crossing cities, crossing states, because God's grace is free. We only need to accept it. You know, a prisoner has a sentence handed down to him by the court. He has no choice in the matter. They can appeal it, but at the end of the day, they are at the mercy 
of the court unless they receive a pardon by the governor or the president. Now, did you know that a prisoner must accept the pardon from the governor or the president? I didn't know that. I thought that if a governor or a president issued a pardon, you, that was it. That's a done deal. That's not the case. That's not the case. President Andrew Jackson is the only president to have actually received a rejection from an individual of his pardon. George Wilson, a postal clerk, robbed a federal train and killed a guard during the presidency of Jackson. The court convicted him and sentenced him to death. But because of a public sentiment against capital punishment, Jackson granted Wilson a pardon. However, Wilson refused it. The Supreme Court had to step in to decide if a person could refuse a presidential pardon, and it decided that a person is free to decline a pardon. In other words, a person must actually accept the pardon. Let me ask you something, church. Why would a guilty person on death row, why would they refuse a pardon? You know, my favorite board game is Monopoly. All not Monopoly fans in the house. See, I don't, I'm deprived in my house. We don't play. I play all these other board games. We play life. We play beat the parents. We play Uno. But when I say, hey, let's play Monopoly, oh, dad, it's so long. I'm like, come on, man. Y'all hurt my feelings. But anyway, y'all talk to them. Y'all encourage them. It's my favorite game. Me and a few brothers years ago, man, we used to meet every Monday night. And that was Monopoly light. And we played to the wee hours of the morning. But anyway. You know, in Monopoly, other than landing on the coveted boardwalk or park place, if you get that, anybody to land, you put up some hotels, it's a wrap. You can just have those two properties, and, and, and if you're strategic enough and you're lucky enough, you can actually win the game. Because once they land on it, you got some hotels. That's it, right? People go bankrupt, start stealing from the bank and all that stuff. Now, there are other cards on the board that are worth having, like all four railroads. You land on the railroads, that's what, easy $200, right? You even want some of that yellow property, you want some of that green property. Once you come around that corner and you see them coming down boardwalk and car, you're like, come around my way, you know, because you know it's going to be payday soon. But there's one other card in the game, in the chance pile, that any diehard Monopoly player covets. And wants. And when you get it, you keep it. Because you can sell it. You know what that is, right? Get out of jail free, baby. Get out of jail free. Jesus is our get out of jail free card. When you accept Jesus, when you get Jesus, it's get out of jail free. You don't got to pay a bail. You don't got to do anything except, except. His pardon. And you say, well, what kind of prisoner would reject a pardon from the governor or the president? 
Well, I tell you the same person who would reject a pardon from God himself. We're no different. When God is offering you pardon, when God is giving you a get-out-of-jail-free card, and instead of accepting it, we choose, no, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to stay on death row. We have the same choice. Pardon a prison. Pardon a prison. We're at the crossroads. And the choice is yours. See, God's grace is greater than any sin in your life. You sit there and you come up with all, well, I did this. It's like playing spades. Once you get rid of all the useless cards and all you got is spades, anything that comes up, and if you know how you're playing spades, and once you start cutting spades and you're trump tight, you know what that means. I'm I'm talking to some spade players. They know what I'm talking about. When you're trump tight, anything that comes on that board, boom, boom, Jesus will trump any sin you can bring to the board. Because God is trump tight. And let me tell you something. You can dig up anything from your past. You can talk about what people did to you. You can talk about what they're going to do to you. Jesus will say, you know what? Bam! I got that. I can take care of that. God is not afraid of the sin you committed. But you got to accept it. The choice is yours. No matter what you've done or for how long you've done it, God is willing to pardon that sin in your life. God won't force it on you. God won't take your hand and make you do it. You know, in Romans chapter 8, here's the thing. God won't save you without your permission. You may want God to come in and just... Change your heart. God, no, just, just, just make me do it. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. You have to accept this. You have to accept this. In Romans chapter 8, in verses 1, sorry, am I past my, well, just pay attention. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4 says, So there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the living, of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the sinners we, like the body of the sinners we have. And in that body... God declares an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. When you accept God's pardon, you no longer follow the sinful nature down that road. You make a decision to follow God's Holy Spirit, which is leading you to salvation. This is the divine pardon from God. And when we accept it, we're free. We're freed 
from the penalty that leads to death. You'll be like, well, James, I can't change. God knows that. That's why his grace is so amazing. God knows you're going to slip up. God knows you're going to mess up. That's why we have each other. That's why we have the word. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. That's why we have his ongoing forgiveness. But you got to accept all of it. It only takes one choice to accept God's grace, to repair your relationship with God, returning his presence in your life. I don't know where you stand with God right now. Maybe you had a walk with God and you're trying to get your life back on track. Let me tell you something. Just accept his grace. Forgive yourself first. Sometimes the, the biggest hurdle in our life is forgiving ourselves. Because we can't fathom hurting God and disobeying God after receiving salvation. And so the biggest hurdle is us. Here's the thing. God's not losing sleep over that. Because he's ready to forgive. He's like, I've been waiting for this day. I've been waiting. Like the father in the story, I've been waiting for you to come back. And we're sitting there preparing our, our statement, Lord, God is like, get over here. Throwing his big arms around us. He didn't even want to hear it. Just come back. Just come home. You know, on the day of Pentecost over 2,000 years ago, Peter preached the message about God's amazing grace to an undeserving people. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, it says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves. From this corrupt generation, there were thousands of Jews there that day to celebrate Pentecost. They all heard the same message. Some thought Peter was crazy. Some thought he was drunk and out of his mind. They were all given the same pardon, but only those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added that day. You know, when you look at that number, you think, that's amazing. I mean, 3,000 people baptized in one day? That's incredible. But here's the thing. I think, I look at what's not said. There were thousands of people there. And I believe God wanted all of them pardoned. Amen, that's a victory. 3,000, we need to thank God for that. But don't think for a second that God doesn't want every single one of you to be with him in heaven. Every last one of you, God wants to be. Because the promise is not just for us old folks. Peter goes on and says the promise is even for your children. And for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call, God is extending his pardon to you. You know, yesterday, Steve Ward, Jeff Dorman, and I counted the cost with a young man named Victor. And we explained that accepting God's grace, what that meant, that it means making Jesus Lord of your life, that it means giving up your life of sin, that it means accepting God's grace and not rejecting it. And we gave him a chance to go home, think about what we talked about, pray about it, make sure that when you count the cost that you know what it's going to take to walk this walk and to live this life. And today, 
Your, your friend Victor will become your brother in Christ. He made a choice to accept God's grace. Wave your hand, Victor. Wave your hand so everybody can see you, brother. There you go. He made a choice to accept God's pardon in his life. He'll be the first to tell you, man, I've done some bad things. But you know what? God's grace trumps that. God's grace trumps that. How about you? Do you need to accept God's free gift of salvation? Do you need God to turn your life around? Do you need God to bring you back? Or are you on the fence? Have you been coming around waiting and waiting and waiting? Here's the thing. You know, that pardon doesn't stay out there for long. And it's not because God is rescinding it. It's because we may wait too long and too late to accept it. Accept God's grace. Don't reject it. The choice is yours. To God be the glory.